If you have a Bible with you or on your phone, you can turn to Romans 14. We'll be looking at this chapter a little bit today. This is, a, this is certainly a timely week to be doing that. Um, when you think of, there's a lot of voting and other things that are happening this week. And so we're going to talk about welcoming and accepting people amid our differences. Doesn't that sound fun? Uh Uh-huh. We know that we are all different. You know, God has created uh, each of us uniquely. The Bible calls us, you know, we're his workmanship. We're a masterpiece. And it's a good thing that we're different. Otherwise, life would be really boring. We'd all be the same. We'd be a bunch of clones or robots. And while that might sound exciting to some of you, it would get boring pretty fast. Yes, thank you for acting that out, Ray. I appreciate that. Acting out, do the robato or whatever. We each have different opinions and we have thoughts about different various issues of life. And we see a huge range of preferences about how to live or play or even here in the church about how to worship, how to best live out our faith. And so often in our world today, we're, we almost receive that message that if you have a difference from somebody, not only should you not get along, but they are automatically your enemy. And the Bible says the complete opposite of that. And even if someone is your enemy, what does the Bible encourage and command us to do? It says to even to not only love your enemy, but to pray for them, not to seek ill will. Our world often views differences of of opinion or conviction, no matter how small, as life or death matters. Hills that you have to die on, no matter how small they may be. And we see this play out almost every day in the news, on social media, in our political cycle, and even in everyday circumstances. They open up the grocery aisle next to you, and somebody gets there, and you've been sitting in the line, and you feel you feel this is an unjust situation that I have to stand here for a few more moments. And they got there first. So it can be very big things and it can be very small things. Suddenly, even the smallest thing becomes something that can justify taking action to destroy the other person as if they were an enemy. For followers of Jesus, however, engaging in this way both in the church and in our broad lives in the world, this can end up sabotaging the relationships and the goal of unity that we seek to build in the church. And hopefully that spreads out into our whole life, the relationships that we're forming. Many of you know the name of Billy Graham. He's been around for a while. His wife is named Ruth. And some 30 or 40 years ago, she attended a luncheon where there was a bunch of other spouses of various pastors and ministry leaders, and it was in Germany. Now, the group that she was joining for their luncheon had a particular set of beliefs about how they thought people should act in the world. And notably, they believed that women should dress what they called respectably conservative. 
such as no makeup. At that lunch, one spouse saw that Ruth was wearing mascara. (gasps) The woman actually grew visibly upset. She actually started to cry right at her table. She cried right down into the beer that she was holding at this luncheon. Now, on the other side of the table, Ruth was too bothered by the beer. Ruth was also bothered by the beer drinking. And while she didn't start crying, she was thinking, what respectable person would do that at lunch and no less at a church event? Ironically, the purpose of this meal was to prepare for an event where many different Christians would come together as one. Both were upset over the choices and preferences of the other. And their responses threatened to undo the good work that had begun by bringing a diverse group of followers of Jesus together. Now, whether this example looms large or small in your mind, the Bible actually provides counsel for us, for followers of Christ, as to how we are to address inevitable differences in the kingdom of God. In Romans 14, the Apostle Paul actually provides a baseline for how we are to conduct ourselves so that we can grow and thrive in this life together. Now, Paul does this in other other letters that he's written as well. But in Romans in particular, he takes a fairly muted approach or reasonable approach. Sometimes in Paul, some of Paul's other letters, it's almost like you're reading it and you can just sense him getting fired up about things. He doesn't quite do that here. He has a very measured response. See, Paul is writing this to a church or a series of house churches in Rome that are comprised of largely Gentiles, non-Jewish people, converts to Christianity, and some Jewish Christians who believe in Jesus. And these are Jews that have been just allowed to come back into Rome. They had previously been kicked out of Rome for, I guess you could call it, disturbing the peace. And now they have been allowed to return to Rome, and this mixed group of people is suddenly struggling. How do we live and worship together? We are very different people. Two groups with very different ideas of what following Jesus should look like. And each believing that they were right. So let's read the first part of Romans 14. Does that sound a little bit like the world we live in today? Yeah, you see why I chose this chapter. I'm reading from the uh, New Revised Standard Version today. Romans 14. Welcome those who are weak in faith or conviction, but not for the purpose of quarreling over opinions. Some believe in eating anything while the weak eat only vegetables. Those who, don't worry, vegetarians are not weak. We'll talk about that later. Those who eat must not despise those who abstain. And those who abstain must not pass judgment on those who eat. For God has welcomed them. Who are you to pass judgment on servants of another? 
It is before their own Lord that they stand or fall, and they will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make them stand. Some judge one day to be better than another, while others judge all days to be alike. Let all be fully convinced in their own minds. Those who observe the day, observe it in honor of the Lord. We're talking about some of the Sabbath observations. Also, those who eat, eat in honor of the Lord, since they give thanks to God. While those who abstain, abstain in honor of the Lord and give thanks to God. Verse 7, we do not live to ourselves, and we do not die to ourselves. If we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, so that he might be Lord of both the dead and the living. Why then do you pass judgment on your brother or sister? Or you, why do you despise your brother or sister? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, And every tongue shall give praise or confess to God. So then each of us will be accountable to God. I'll stop there for now. Now today you probably wouldn't worry too much about a vegetarian dish on the menu. Or you might not be too bothered by watching somebody eat a hot dog whether it's beef or pork. But a potluck in the first century would have been a tense experience. People would want to throw down because of what you ate or didn't eat. And this can be hard when, you, when you're joining people of different backgrounds and beliefs together. See, for the, a lot of the Jewish Christians, they were having to live into a new reality where for hundreds and thousands of years, Their food laws and their dietary restrictions were clear boundary markers that helped them stay close to God. And now, in Jesus Christ, he has torn down all barriers, all divisions. And so they are struggling with how does this work itself out in our life of faith. Food practices were deeply held beliefs because of that long history of boundaries around what was considered clean and unclean. But this was a new era. How do we live together as one group? How do we live out our faith as disciples of Christ and worship together as one group? Do you know that even today the church is often the one place, although not always, unfortunately, where people of great diversity can come together and be accepted by Christ. It's one of the reasons we're doing this today, and we're also taking communion today, because we all come to the one table. There's not a separate table for vegetarians or for other folks. There's one table. When Paul talks of faith here, He's not disputing salvation. He's kind of taking that as a given. That Jesus Christ is the center of our faith. 
but rather when Paul uses the word faith, that's why I think the word conviction is almost a better use here. How you come to work out your faith in your daily life does have an impact. The convictions that you hold, that you stand before God with what, the things that you have come to believe in your life of faith, and ultimately it is God who will hold us accountable for what we do and don't do. We stand on our convictions. This includes the decisions that you make or opinions you hold about, and hear me clearly, secondary matters which are not salvation dependent. And that includes just about everything. Now when I say secondary matters, that doesn't mean that it's just a free-for-all and that we get to do whatever we want. No, there are limitations. And part of our freedom in Christ is actually self-limiting ourselves for the sake of others. So what do we do when we face these kinds of differences with other people that we're called to love and get along with, but whom, for whom we radically differ in how this gets worked out in real life? Paul outlines a general principle here. Now, he's mainly talking about our relationships between sisters and brothers, fellow believers within the church. But this is also a principle that I think we can extend out into how we deal with other relationships in the world. His general principle is this. We welcome and accept people who hold different convictions about how to live out faith. And the main reason we do that is because of what the Word says, because God has accepted them. And right now you might be thinking, but pastor, you don't know what that person is all about. You don't know what they want, they want to be doing. We welcome and accept people who hold different convictions about how to live out a faith, because the convictions that we hold we are accountable for, and we stand before God in his presence. And we will offer those convictions directly to him, and one day we will be judged for that. In this way, when we learn to welcome and accept people who hold different convictions from us, we actually learn how to bear with one another, especially those people that we don't agree with. All for the sake of maintaining our relationship and our oneness with God, our oneness in Christ. Now this is where we do need to have, make some distinctions or almost a caveat, and hopefully this serves us well, not just here, but in our life in general, that acceptance doesn't mean agreement. You don't have to agree with someone to accept them, and unity doesn't mean uniformity. That as Christ calls us to be one, he doesn't expect that we all have a uniform set of practices. This will become clear in just a moment. Unity does not mean uniformity. Acceptance is all about working to maintain unity as we show love to one another. And this is difficult and hard, as we well know. It is hard to be one. In the case of this church in Rome... One side despised the opinion of the other. And the other side judged them 
and held the other ones in contempt. Both sides thought they were right in their practices, and they were. But both sides also had the complete wrong attitudes in how they approached their sisters and brothers. The attitude of each side threatened their fellowship. You've heard me say this before. It all sort of stems from the heart. That if our heart is not right, it affects everything else. Paul provides this principle of accepting other believers without arguing or passing judgment about opinions and practices. And I want to highlight just a few reasons about why this matters for us today. First, in verse 6, there's a phrase in verse 6. Those who hold different convictions or faith practices within the church do so in, honor, in order to honor the Lord. So this doesn't mean that anything you believe is correct. It means that you come to certain convictions as you walk in faith with the Lord, and you bring those convictions to God, and in so doing, you honor the Lord. So that therefore means that anything we bring in that way, any conviction that we hold, if it can't stand the test of God, if it can't hold up under the weight of Scripture, then we must not be right, or at least not on the right path in that moment. When Rebecca and I were in Spain, the church we were a part of celebrated communion, get this, every single Sunday. Oh my goodness. Every single Sunday. And I remember the first time I experienced that. You know, you come up and you participate. And then I, we came back the next week and we, had, oh, we did it again. Now, this wasn't something that I grew up with. I grew up from a tradition of once a month. That's plenty. <laughs> I, I don't think that that's actually the approach they took. They, they just celebrated it once a month. Some churches do it twice a month. It used to be some churches would do it once a quarter. I thought that celebrating it weekly might cheapen or weaken the impact that it could have. But after talking and learning from other people who were already a part of that church, it started to make sense. Many people had come from different religious traditions. A large number had grown up in the Catholic Church. And celebrating weekly communion was an important way to honor the Lord. And in that, I learned, oh, okay, this is why we choose to do this in this particular church. Just like Ruth at that luncheon in Germany, each believed they were honoring the Lord through their actions and decisions, whether not to wear something or not to drink something. Their convictions were in the right place, but it was their attitude toward the other that was missing the mark. It's why context matters, my friends, something that is sorely lacking in our society today. Context matters as we seek to understand one another. In this, we learn that there are many different ways to honor the Lord. The second reason we learn to welcome and accept and bear with one another, verse 9, is because of this. Christ is Lord. Now that might seem like a no-brainer to you. 
But we need to be reminded of this, that Christ is Lord of everything and everyone at every time. And all whom Christ brings unto himself, he accepts. And what God has called clean, let us not call unclean. This is very hard. Christ died and rose for all of us, and he creates a community of people that works to break down barriers that would normally, in the rest of our life, keep us apart. Verse 3 says that God has welcomed people, so we do as well. Does this mean that we may have to limit our own actions or willingly limit our freedoms if it upsets another? Absolutely. Paul would say that too. He would say, yes, absolutely. We need to watch ourselves sometimes. Verse 7 says that we do not live or die merely for ourselves, but we belong to the Lord. We welcome and accept all whom the Lord draws close to himself, because Christ is Lord, if for no other reason. And lastly, verse 10. We learn to welcome and accept people who don't agree with us because God is the only judge. No matter how much we like to take on this task for ourselves, God is the only judge. And all will stand before God in due time. Trust me, I know. We don't like this. We actually, we like, we like judging far more than we're willing to admit. Paul says, why then do we judge, condemn, and look down on other believers? He's specifically speaking about actions and attitudes that actually end up harming potential relationships with your sisters and brothers in Christ. Now, there is a lot of nuance to this, and we could probably spend a whole another Sunday talking about this. Not judging doesn't mean that all behavior is moral or ethical or even okay. But the kind of judgment and condemnation that Paul is speaking to is that slippery kind that worms its way into our minds where we start to feel contempt for someone else because of what they choose to do. Or we feel a sense of superiority for what I choose to do. Or we dismiss someone who doesn't believe like I do, or you do, or we do. It's that, hmm, that you might think or say towards someone who doesn't live or eat or drink or dress or vote or speak or practice faith like you do. Verse 15 says that we fail to act in love when we judge and we despise others for the convictions that they have come to in their faith. And we often open our mouths, and we've talked about this before, and we make it worse. We we say careless or judgmental words that lack understanding and context. And that can undo or destroy the work that God is seeking to build. Likewise, if we persist in doing things on the other side that knowingly injure another, one of the reasons I like the New Revised Standard is it says, we are causing the ruin of one whom Christ died for if we willingly choose to assert our freedom and it injures someone else. That's a verse, you might have to chew on that during this week. That's a hard one. 
When I read that, I thought, ouch, my eyebrows kind of went up a little bit. New Revised Standard Version. All it means is that the stakes are high, my friends, when it comes to how we live out our convictions. So instead of saying, how can I assert what I believe or impose what I believe, we might be better served to ask, what is the decision or act that shows I love and care for my sister and brother? What is that thing that demonstrates that I love and care about someone else. We all know this. Sometimes we have to learn this. If you've been on social media, you're very rarely going to convert somebody, convert someone to your own opinion. I think this is a timely chapter. We have this baseline that Paul presents. Welcome and accept the believer who holds a different conviction as they live out their faith It doesn't mean that you're always going to agree. In fact, we rarely agree about everything. But we will maintain the unity and peace because the relationship is far more important. It's more important than being right all the time. Living this out is difficult. It's hard to consistently accept and not argue with people, especially those whom we disagree with on secondary matters. Paul knows this. He's experienced this in the churches that he has started and worked with and counseled. And so he actually leaves us with some practical advice for living in the way that Christ desires for us. So let me read the second part, starting in verse 13. Let us therefore no longer pass judgment on one another, but resolve instead never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of another. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in in itself. But it is unclean for anyone who thinks it is unclean. If your brother or sister is being injured by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. Do Do not let what you eat cause the ruin of one for whom Christ died. That's verse 15, by the way. That might be that that. Reflection verse for you this week. So do not let your good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not food and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. The one who thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and has human approval. Let us then pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for you to make others fall by what you eat. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that makes your brother or sister stumble. The faith that you have, have as your own conviction before God. Blessed are those who have no reason to condemn themselves because of what they approve. But those who have doubts are condemned if they eat because they do not act from faith or conviction. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. What do we aim for then? We aim for life in God's kingdom as a matter of living a life of goodness and uprightness that pursues peace and promotes joy in the Holy Spirit. 
We work for the harmony and well-being of everyone, working to build one another up, not tear each other down. Do we seek to live this way as building blocks or stumbling blocks? Are our actions and attitudes helping or hindering others as we live out our convictions? These types of questions are what can guide our decisions as we live out our faith in our lives. If we focus on using these gifts as part of our normal way of living and acting, both in the church and in the broad world, then we will be able to learn to accept and live with a certain amount of disagreement. Probably more than we're actually comfortable with on our own. And at the same time, we build the unity of the church. In the end, it helps, it works to help everyone. This is all part of living out life in the kingdom. And that, my friends, is faith in the diverse world. Let's pray. God, you know that we have a lot of different ideas about how we think things should work, how the world should work, how our faith should be lived out. And I thank you that you have created us with strong minds and opinions and hearts. And I pray that your spirit would guide us in what is best, not only for ourselves, but for our neighbors, for our sisters and our brothers. God, in this moment, as we prepare to come to your table, remind us once again that this table is the great leveler, the great equalizer in the life of faith. There's not a special table for those that think they might have more faith than someone else. And there's not a lesser table or a kid's table for those that feel their faith isn't as strong as it could be. There is one table. What you look for is the presence of faith. So God, will you guide your people in this week to come? And will you bless us now and feed us out of your abundance, we pray. And we say all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Church, will you hear these words as we prepare? To go. Now to him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you without blemish before the presence of his glory, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen and amen. Go church. Have a great week. I look forward to seeing you again.